Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. All right, everyone, I am here at the C3 Transform Conference in San Francisco, and I've got the amazing pleasure to be seated with Dan Jevons, a veteran of the podcast, and Adi Bashiam. Uh, Dan is the General Manager of Data Science at Shell, and Adi is the Vice President of Forward Deployed Solutions, Alliances, and Strategy at C3. So Dan uh, was on the show, Twimble Talk number 202, back in November, uh, which was rolled out as part of our AI platform series. So Dan, I'm going to refer folks back to that show to get your full background. But before we uh, dive into the heart of the topic, Adi, uh, tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, sure, happy to. So I have uh, had a few roles at C3, but I've been at C3 now for about four years. I currently lead forward deployed solutions that think of that as sales consulting, sales engineering. I also lead our alliances and strategy org. Uh, I joined C3 in the product organization and uh, had to get my hands dirty both verifying machine learning algorithms deployed correctly and also writing product spec, to actually build applications that use those uh, algorithms to actually solve business problems. Uh, prior to C3, I, uh, I was at McKinsey and Company. I was there for a total of about 12 years, which in consulting years feels like 50. Uh, and in that time, and most recently before I left, I was largely leading our predictive analytics and big data solutions focused on B2C subscription businesses, things like telecom and uh, other SaaS businesses. Uh, I have an MBA from the Kellogg School uh, at Northwestern University, just north of Chicago, and I'm a computer science, and I have a computer science and, uh, degree from IIT Bombay. So I have, my graduate work was in electrical engineering at Northwestern. I lived in the basement of tech for yeah. <laughs> many years. Many I lived years. mostly in Jacob Center, but yes. Nice. Dan, I just had a, an opportunity to catch part of your presentation here, or actually all of your presentation here at the conference. And one thing that really struck me was, at least from my perspective, based on our last conversation, how much has matured yeah. around AI platforms at Shell in just four months? Yeah. You had a slide that says shell.ai, like a platform with three different, we didn't talk about any of that stuff. Yeah. Was that stuff, talk about the kind of evolution over. So it's kind of funny because obviously you get to talk about more as it matures, right? So that's, that, that's, that's part of it. But obviously you didn't come up with it and do it in four months. No, I exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, no, I, I think we were looking for a banner to bring this all together. So. I talked a lot about uh, in the presentation the, the real importance that this is not just a platform play, it's also a play around how do you create a narrative and a culture and a way of working that starts to drive transformation right across the business. And that's the vision, really. So we're doing that under this banner of shell.ai. Um, if you want to check it out, we have a website now. <laughs> shell.ai is real. You can just Google it. Um, and you'll see a lot of the things we're doing. Uh, we've got some little videos out there talking about some of the work that we're doing. And we're going to put more and more out there over the coming months. Um, but it's becoming a, a bit of a, a narrative within Shell and also something we're using quite prolifically now with the external world as well. Uh, and just out of curiosity, why externalize that? I'm assuming you're not going to have external users of shell.ai. I'm not going to go create an account and put in my credit card and 
run some TensorFlow. Yeah, that's right. I, I, exactly right. It's not, it's not going to be that sort of thing. I think there will be, uh, so there's two reasons. One, um, increasingly we recognize within Shell that, that this whole journey is about partnership. It's about partnership with uh, companies like C3. Um, it's about partnership with the innovative tech startups right here in San Francisco, of which right. I've been meeting a few this week. Uh, it's about also trying to attract the top talent that want to work on really tough problems in the energy industry. And the final thing is it's also about partnership with some of the people we want to work with because a lot of our assets are ventures. They're, it's not just Shell, it's other companies involved. So we need to be able to say to them, this is what we're doing, now let's work together. So our spirit is not one of um, creating a product that we want to sell, but it's much more something which we say, let's work together on this because that's the whole spirit of digital. So let's maybe dig in a little bit uh, into this platform that you've created. You described kind of three specific elements. Can yeah. you walk us through that, those yeah. elements and the roles that they play? Yeah, absolutely. So if you think at the, at the raw end, we've got a, a whole raft of advanced citizen data scientists. It's a horrible term. I don't like it, but it, it kind of characterizes <laughs> what they are. These are people who are engineers. They're uh, subsurface specialists in Shell. They've typically got some sort of technical background and they're quite comfortable with algorithms. So the question is, how can I make it really easy for those folks to use some standard tools that are available on the market to come in and rapidly prototype some things? So we work with companies like Alteryx and Databricks to make it really easy for those people to come in. And also uh, other companies like MathWorks, for example, and the MATLAB product, which actually has come on quite a long way in the last few years. So we, we sort of create that environment largely focused on R and Python to allow them to prototype these things quickly. We've then got kind of a group of people who also need a platform where they want to train deep learning. So we're applying deep learning in spaces like autonomous well drilling. We talked about that the last time. Uh, deep learning on seismic fault detection. We're also looking at uh, deep learning applications in a number of other areas, so things like machine vision or natural language processing. And those guys tend to want to work in the latest open source technologies. So they might be comfortable using a Databricks and a Spark, but they also need things like Kubeflow and Kubernetes. Uh, they want to be able to manage their data versioning. So we work with companies like Pachyderm for that. So that we're looking at uh, those sorts of technologies and bringing those together into an integrated whole to allow our real specialist data scientists to train things at scale and to make sure that they're able to deal with the big data volumes in a, in a predominantly cloud-based environment. But then you've got to take that to the masses somehow, right? So you've got to be able to deploy that uh, easily and effectively. And so we're working with the cloud vendors, but we're also working with companies like C3 to help really take those to enterprise-grade software solutions that you can then deploy out to your business users and that they can get the benefits from the applications that we're building in the context of their day-to-day -day work. Clearly, as an organization, you're not afraid of like rolling up your sleeves and integrating pieces together. Yeah. Um, a lot of the, you know, the other companies, in fact, that we featured in our platform series, the likes of Facebooks and Airbnbs, yeah. you know, they're building platforms. They kind of rolled up their sleeves, yeah, that's right. glued a bunch of stuff together or welded, and you know, as the case may be. Um, you're not afraid to do that. Why rely on a, a partner like C3 to provide a more of an off-the-shelf yeah. kind of solution as opposed to you know, just going that extra step and doing the welding or gluing? It's a great question. I, th I think um, we thought about it, so just being completely honest, and uh, 
Addy and I had some tough conversations around this. Uh, but I think the, the tough, the real thing for me was, if you look at my data science heritage as an organization, you know, we trace our origins, my team, right back to the 1970s, where Shell was the industry leader in things like scenario planning, and we founded some of the first statistics groups in the industry. The, the issue is that we don't have that same heritage in software engineering. So we were really looking for a partner that's going to help us move forwards with not just the, the stitching together of being able to make it work, but actually being able to make it work at scale in a production-ready product that's going to allow us to deploy this right across our business very, very fast. That's something that we weren't we, we didn't feel we were fully equipped to do. And that's also where C3 have been helping us in in that whole journey. And I think the other thing to, that's worth saying is uh, we liked the reusability of that type system. Uh, we know that a lot of the setups that you have uh, in the sort of, uh, I guess, the cloud space, they don't really think about a common data model to knit it all together. Having that ability to create reusable data assets that can then be built on for for other software development is actually pretty powerful, uh, particularly when you start thinking about a world in which you've got a lot of common data in common areas that is then reusable for multiple use cases. Now, Adi, we've talked about in uh, my previous interviews here uh, a bit about the data model and the notion of virtual data lakes and the like. Uh, but from your perspective uh, as helping to support Shell, how have uh, you been able to kind of bring these ideas to bear uh, to support their use cases? And what are some of the things that you've learned in that process? It's uh, a great question. I think... Let me paint that. Let me answer that question two very distinct ways. Okay, uh, in the work we are doing with um, the Shell COE team, the Center of Excellence team, uh, the core value of the C3 AI suite or the platform is really around very high or rapid extensibility and reusability, and. Hopefully, and I think we're doing this, though there's no easy peer-to-peer or like-to-like comparison, significantly reducing the amount of lines of code you actually do write when you build an app. Uh, so to, to, to give you an illustration of that, with, with Dan's team, uh, what we were presented with was a fully working solution that they had prototyped that had scaled to about order of 20 to 30 units, in this case, valves. Right, um, all drawn on a historical data set with some data feeds from one location. Uh, what we did with it as part of a very intense month in the month of May last year uh, was replicate that historic data set 2,000 times, uh, thus creating something like 400,000 unique valves that we had to deal with not 20, but 400,000, and then train automatically in the platform uh, a unique machine learning model for each valve, discovering along the way the features that affected the performance of that valve uh, under normal operating conditions as well as under anomalous operating conditions. The work I did to do that was entirely baked into the platform. Really what I wrote was a parallelization script that went and trained 400,000 models. Right? Uh, turns out in doing so, I spun up something like 150 workers uh, elastically in the cloud, used it to train these models, persisted those model weights back into the platform as objects with metadata, 
callable as an API and callable on demand. And having seen that, uh, I think the question naturally became, why not use this now to scale? Right? And that's kind of where we ended the proof of technology and said, okay, now let's put this into a production type application. Uh, where we are in that journey is like, like Dan described a little earlier in our in his keynote at our at C3 Transform, uh, we have fully scaled out from 20 valves to about 400 valves from one location. We have also built out the infrastructure to talk to three distinct data sources from Shell, uh, along with what we call canonicals that talk to those systems seamlessly, irrespective of what data is being sent to us. And so, because we've solved that problem, I can now tap into sensor data for valves, sensor data for compressors, sensor data for heat exchangers, and sensor data for centrifugal pumps, the works. Uh, and I've solved that problem once, and I reuse it for all those use cases. Uh, similarly, I have trained not just the model itself, but I've written algorithms or programming logic that trains the model automatically for any one of those assets and persists both the model and all associated metadata with it and makes it available to the end user, right? Uh, when you start solving those problems, what, what happened naturally in the course of this is one project, the Valves project got started earlier. They had more teething problems and they just kind of had to solve issues along the way. The second project, the compressor project started about order of two months after Valves. And when they started, they realized from their teammate sitting kind of two desks down that that teammate had already solved the problem in, of ingesting all sensor data. That teammate had already solved the problem of what a model looks like in Shell with associated metadata fields. Uh, had already solved the problem of transforming data uh, from the raw data feed into the variants that I need to use to support the asset hierarchy within Shell. Uh, done problem. Uh, and suddenly the compressors team was, despite having written no lines of code, about two months into the project. Yeah. Right? And so suddenly they had an acceleration. Now play that out, not just for valves and compressors, but all rotating equipment, all heat exchangers, all other parts of equipment that look like that. Uh, the other piece that got better in the second time uh, we did it was the understanding of what the app needs to do. Right? And this is to Dan's point around actually building cloud-based software applications. Right, What's the specification of what problem we're solving? What should each screen look like? Uh, having done that, we've invariably, because everything in C3 is an object that we call a type, uh, had widgetized some parts of the UI and other elements in the middleware that actually transform data and make it presentable, uh, were instantly available downstream for other applications as well. So there is immense reusability. We solve data integration problems effectively once and then reuse it for all cases. And oh, by the way, having done that, you then point your data scientists at actually solving the complex problems, which is how do I now detect a compressor anomaly uh, every 10 minutes with very high degree of certainty? That's the hard problem, not the problem of uh, stitching data together and building data transforms and doing the plumbing. And to that point, as it relates to scaling things up, that's where I believe C3 really makes a difference. Uh, the other piece that I am talking to Dad about is to also use C3 as a, a, 
as a means of experimentation as well, right? So the idea is if a model is a type with associated metadata, a Jupyter notebook is also a type with associated metadata. And so we are about to launch essentially what we call the notebook service. So you spin up a notebook on demand, uh, whether it's an R notebook or a Python notebook. Uh, it turns out once you do that, the platform, which doesn't care what it's asked to store as long as it can represent it somehow, can store notebooks, can store versions of notebooks, can store variants of notebooks, including ownership data, can, can allow uh, identity-based access control into those notebooks so that you're seamlessly connected and can get going uh, with no requirement whatsoever to store data in C3 or use the C3 platform for anything more than that. Turns out that when you're actually solving a problem that has some gold, as you mine, it is then a trivial exercise to push it into C3 and then scale with it, right? And that's where we're going on that side of it. So the idea is, let's start with scaling, we got that. Um, but then let's also extend to experimentation, not just for core machine learning, but also then deep learning frameworks, NLP, et cetera. And, and just building on that, it's quite appealing because just to quantify some of the scale we're talking about, uh, if you look at just one of our assets, it's spitting off around 100,000 measurements per minute. So if you think of that over five years, you're talking between 70 and 80 billion rows of data. Um, and if you're a data scientist in that sort of domain, actually just getting hold of that data is problematic and being able to put it in a form where you can process it if C3 has already done that data munging for us and put that in a form with some of these production apps that we're already developing, and they can manage versioning on the experimentation, it's quite an appealing prospect. So I think there's, there's a lot of merit to the platform. I think the challenge is obviously getting it to the point where all of this works together, but we like the vision. So Adi, one of the things that you mentioned that I'm curious about in the process of this um, Valve project replicating the data I forget how many times, 400 or 40,000 or 2,000 times. Uh, in some of the previous conversations I've had today, one of the themes was not needing to replicate the data. Can you just um, reconcile those ideas for me? Yeah, so absolutely. I think the idea of not replicating the data, which you might have heard from some of the other conversations you had uh, with C3 folks, was really around this idea of, a, of uh, referring to the capability of the C3 platform to virtualize any data source. Right? And so the idea is if you've already stored some data in the cloud or you've already built something where it sits in a data warehouse that you can access, you do not need to then copy that over and make a copy of that entire data set inside the C3 cluster. Right? Because the C3 object model allows external virtual references to any system that it can access. Right? So in that sense, there is no need to copy data again um, if you've already made it available. What we're talking about when I, when, I, when I said we replicated data 2,000 times was more to just purely demonstrate scalability, right? So it's, it's, I have one unit of data. We have not yet had done the work to extract all the data from all parts of Shell, but I know it's there and I know I need to work on all of that data set at some point. But because Dan wanted to see it work at that scale, we said, well, you don't have it. What's the best way I can mirror it and so I literally ran a job on inside of C3 to replicate that 2,000 times and port it. Got it. Right? So that's what we did. <laughs> One of the things I find so interesting about this conversation that ties to some work I'm doing around this Platform Z book is that this idea of scale 
And like we, we throw this word around um, and it means, it means more than one thing at least. That's right. One of these things is, you know, we've got 100,000 measurements, you know, for this, you know, one system per year. And if we have 10 of these systems, you know, we multiply, right? But it also, there's also a sense in which it means the ability to kind of scale our ability to get models into production. That's right. Right. The ability to operationalize more quickly. Dan, I'm wondering when you think about, do you have different words for that? Or like, how do you think well, about that whole space? Well, I, I think my problem is a number of, it's scale at every level, right? So, so let me just talk about that. So if you talk about my business, so we have 43,000 retail sites. Um, that's just one part of Shell. <laughs> We're bigger than Starbucks, bigger than McDonald's in the retail business in terms of our global network. So I have a problem that I have lots of things across my business, and I, all of those things create data. So I have a, a data problem, if you will, that I've got vast scale in terms of the data that I need to deal with. That's one. But then if I move that up a level, I've then got a problem, which is I need to aggregate that data at scale. So I've got to be able to bring that into an aggregate environment in the cloud because a lot of these things aren't cloud native, they have legacy systems, we need to be able to bring all that together. Then I have a problem in, at scale in terms of machine learning, because if you think about the valves problem, it's not good enough to do 16 valves and solve the problem for one business unit in a very small area of the business. I need to be able to do this for half a million valves worldwide, and so I've got a machine learning at scale problem, which means I've got a model management problem, which is something we talked about a little bit the last time. Mm -hmm. And then I've got a, a problem with the fact that I've then got users at scale. So the people that want to need to consume that, I, I've got potentially tens, hundreds, thousands of users across the whole of Shell. We're a you know, 80 plus thousand person organization. Um, we've also got huge numbers of contractors, uh, partners, suppliers, all of them potentially need to get insight from some of the applications that I'm developing. And so... At the end of the day, it's that scale at all of those levels that's so problematic. And you can't, you, you, you actually have to have something that can solve all of those things if you want to get anything into production. And so we talk a lot about the focus on scaling and replicating. So getting it to that scale and then replicating it to allow it to generate benefits. Because the, the, the problem with digital technology is it's very easy to solve the problem once. But it also tends to be very expensive. <laughs> and the benefits in any business model in the digital space comes from that replication thrust. Mm -hmm. And so the key thing is we've got to be able to create a platform strategy that allows us to do that because otherwise we become a very expensive cost center. Your last comment reminds me a bit of, uh, of uh, the NVIDIA founder and CEO whenever he gets up on the stage and holds up a new GPU. is like, this GPU costs a billion dollars. Yeah, exactly. Right? Because at first, the upfront That's effort right. is so significant. But then as you're able to replicate it, the incremental cost goes down. Exactly right. You mentioned in your talk, I think a new use case that we hadn't talked about previously, the reward engine. Yeah. Uh, is, it, is that one new? Yeah, it is new. Um, uh, it's one that we've just gone live with pretty recently. Uh, it's now live in the UK market. Um, what it's all about is we want, so we talk a lot of, in our retail business about treating customers as a guest. So when you come to a Shell station, we want you to feel like you're the most special person in the world to us and we want you to have a great experience. Uh, and that means treating you really well 
with our service champions, as we call them, when you actually arrive on the forecourt or in the store. But it also means digitally, you need to have a fantastic customer experience. And so we did a lot of thinking about that. And we basically took the same principles that Amazon and Facebook apply. And we said, how can we make the experience that you get whenever you turn up at a Shell station extremely personal? So we know what you want from us. And we want you to have that experience. We want you to have the sensitivity around how much data you share with us. But once you do share your data, we want to give you a great experience with great offers and great benefits of being part of Shell. And so that's what the, the reward engine is all about. It's, it's a capability that sits under the hood of our loyalty system, and it effectively dictates what, you, what experience you get at the site when you turn up to Shell. And we're really proud of it. Uh, it's, it's just gone live in the UK, like, as I said. We're planning to roll it out globally. Can you talk a little bit about it technically in terms of data sources, types of models, yeah. what the models are doing? So a lot of the data comes from a combination of things. It comes from transaction history. It comes from information we have about the store, where it is, what the traffic around that is, et cetera, et cetera. We also have a whole bunch of information uh, around, for example, uh, the loyalty scheme, what you've done with us previously, how many visits you've had, what sort of things you've bought on the loyalty scheme, how many points you've got. Um, or how many visits you got, I should say. And so we take all of that information and we effectively, uh, we, we take a Bayesian inference approach, effectively. And I'm horribly simplifying it, but, it, but what we do is we, we say a Shell customer typically buys fuel and then we overlay a clustering approach and a series of rules as well to, to create a combination of things we want you to have. So we want you to get rewarded for frequency. So we apply visit logic over the top. But we also infer from history of customers who behave in a similar way to the way that you behave. So it's kind of like a K-means if you think about it that way. And so we're trying to cluster uh, the behavior, infer your behavior, but ultimately try to then create offers that are relevant, but then continually iterate on that. So that's the inference aspect. So we constantly overlay behavioral observations in real time back onto that customer and then use that to make the offers. You know, one of the things I've learned over the past, over the course of the day and some of the uh, sessions here at the conference is kind of the, the evolution of C3, right? It started at, with the focus of this data layer that we've talked a bunch about. And actually, you correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, the impression I have is that the company's kind of been pulled into machine learning and AI and working with companies like Shell and NL and, and others and is kind of building on that underlying data platform. Yeah, I think the, the question that I'm getting is like, <laughs> there's so much, you know, the, the, a data platform is a huge challenge. And then we're talking about Bayesian inference and TensorFlow and machine learning models. Yep. Like the, I think one of the speakers earlier talked about the number, it was maybe Tom talked about the number of connections between all these things. How do you manage that? And I'm presumably... Part of the goal is to keep that simple for the people that are using the, the platform. I imagine that yeah. Dan wants to keep things, you know, the platform view That's simple right. to his consumers. Yeah. So let me answer that question two ways, Sam. Uh, the first is uh, it would be helpful to your listeners to understand how C3 got to where we are, right? And a little bit of just our evolution um, and, and why it is the way we do certain things a certain way. Uh, the second is to give you a sense of how we think about platform users. And frankly, the answer is there are many platform users. They're all very different. And you've got to expose different parts of the platform to them, but not everything to everyone. Uh, and in doing so, the right way is how we manage down the complexity. So let me answer the first thing first, right? So, so C3 got started as a carbon trading company. Okay? Um, and, and, and the original C was represented carbon. 
right? Okay. And and it came out around, uh, I mean, the, the conversation at the time, and this is going back to 2009, 2010, was around this thesis that because of the Carbon Trading Act, everyone will need to measure their carbon footprint. And then because some have better and some have worse carbon footprints relative to each other, there is the opportunity to both measure it, monitor it, and then mitigate it by trading Right? So there was therefore a natural need for companies like Cisco and Dow and GE to actually have software that measured their carbon footprint. And you would need to therefore measure um, facility use, person use, travel use, all of these different things. Uh, and so the company that is now C3 was also called C3 at the time, but the C stood for carbon. And we got going in the business of really being able to ingest a huge amount of data, all related to measuring a company's carbon footprint. Where did this data come from? It came from facility plans. It came from energy utility bills. It came from energy utility meters. It came from self-reported lead certification of buildings, things like that. Uh, turns out we built that company or that piece of software in a way that said, and this was, I think, ahead of its time, uh, that recognized that if we went to 10 enterprises, each of those 10 enterprises would have a different data model, different sources of data, but they were all trying to solve the same problem. And so we built that first piece of software to essentially allow a modular separation between the data we were getting and the use of that data going upstream, right? And, and because a lot of our founders came from Siebel systems, the, that was the core of how it was built. Right? And so a lot of that DNA kind of got transferred over. Turns out that market went to bust, carbon trading sort of evaporated. And we said, okay, we've built this technology, what do we do with it? Uh, what we did with it was pointed at a problem where there was a huge amount of data available that was the same carbon trading problem times 10 or times 100. Uh, where we believed we could engineer the scalability required to solve the problem. And that was really building software solutions for the electric grid or the utilities, right? Which was at the time, and this is 2011, 2012, uh, the most censored industry of them all, right? Censored in the sense of having a lot of sensors. Having a lot of sensors uh, as opposed to anything else. <laughs> Right? Uh, it turns out that these guys have been actually pretty good at installing sensors, um, deploying sensors, not just for smart meters, but also transformers, vibration sensors on uh, grid equipment, reclosers, the works. Uh, NL, one of our largest customers whom you may have heard on stage today, uh, was our customer when we were that company called C3 Energy. And their first problem was, can you deal with all this data? Turns out we could, because again, because we had modularized and abstracted the way we built the original piece of software, adding cloud services, elastic scalability, et cetera, came naturally while retaining that abstraction. This is kind of the genesis of what we call the type system. Uh, and so their first problem to us was, can you handle 800 terabytes of data that I sent to you and then process it at a million transactions per second? No AI, no machine learning, that was it. Right? Turns out we could. And turns out we proved it to them in order of a few uh, cycles, just like Dan's one million model problem. Uh, having solved that, they said, okay, where, what do we do with this technology? Uh, 
And it turns out the most valuable problems to them, again, going back to like, where's the money, uh, were in the application of these very large data sets, but also machine learning algorithms on that. And so we built in the same modular approach, the ability to build both temporal and spatial analytics, and then machine learning models using those temporal and spatial analytics, again, in this abstracted way, so that everyone's writing as little code as possible, but you're expressing logic very quickly. Uh, that's been now hardened to the point where it works seamlessly uh, on all flavors and all types of data uh, over the next, over the subsequent five-ish years, right? Uh, and in doing so, we've uh, gone from offering SaaS solutions to the utilities to a platform that has these capabilities to all industries. Um, and in doing so, we've now focused on building out these capabilities that look like better cloud services, better performance, better ML and AI and application development tooling uh, and, and more applications, all using the same logic. So uh, you could call it chance. You could call it uh, a natural necessity of the types of problems we solved and therefore were exposed to next. So the, the, as, I, as I like to joke, the, 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 the prize for the pie eating contest is more pie. And we just kept winning them <laughs> every few weeks. And that's been our evolution, right? A lot of the initial impetus came from customer conversations, right? And it's like, hey, what problems do you need that that are real actually need solving? A lot of it came from our roadmap. And, we'll con and we see this constant conversation going on. And it happened today. And it will happen tomorrow in our the rest of our conference and, and so on. Uh, and that's how we think about this, right? So there's... Uh, and if you if you listen to Tom talking about the types of people we hire, we hire people that are restless, that are not willing to say the job's done, we're done, right? There's always something new to solve and it's, it's constantly evolving. I suspect if you look at our roadmap, if you fast forward a year and look back at what we built, about half of the things we built would have come from our own product managers thinking through like, what do we need? And the remaining half would come from customer demands. And it's like, hey, I need this to solve this problem you haven't solved it yet. Well, fine, we'll go solve it, right? And that, that's really how this will evolve as we go. And so it's, managing the complexity of all that. So now let's go to that, right? So, so as we grow our capabilities in the platform, if I think about how we organize ourselves, right, uh, which gives you a window as to how we think about the world, uh, we have a core platform engineering team, and the core platform engineering team deals with everything related to uh, infrastructure services, whether they are cloud or on-premise. Um, they do everything related to security and authentication. Uh, there's, a, there's a pod that deals with uh, data management and data source externalization. So how do I write connectors to MongoDB or Snowflake or whatever else? And there is a processing analytics engine team within the platform team that deals with What's the most efficient way to store a time series across archival storage and SSD storage so that I can actually access data in the fastest way possible? And how do I parameterize that so that it's easy to solve? All of these pods in core platform engineering are building with the same mindset, which is how do I abstract the services I provide to the layer above me from the raw code I write to actually manage the layer below me? Right? Everyone's doing the same thing. So at that level, you've got those pods. Uh, if you solve those correctly, which is kind of what they do, 
we then offer up to the next team within C3, which looks like application development, tool development, and machine learning engineering, a series of native services that they can then use to build their own services. What are they doing? Machine learning engineering is literally building what, what we call an ML pipeline. Right? An ML pipeline is essentially a sequence of steps that's executable in a, in a runtime that is declared on compile or previously that can use any framework that you want to pull in, whether it's TensorFlow or Keras or anything else, uh, along with any data processing and outputs that you need to do with it. Right? And what they're doing is really writing bindings that can use a series of these frameworks and a series of external tools that can work with the platform. Application engineering is building applications, inventory optimization, predictive maintenance, et cetera, uh, with features, functionality directed by the product managers, invariably in conversation with our customers. And then the tools team is building via metadata APIs that the platform team exposes, the tooling to then uh, change platform settings through very minimal, either no-code or low-code tools that they make available through browsers, right? And then we have customer service and sales engineering teams that use all of these capabilities to then go solve customer problems with a rich toolkit that sort of hangs on their waist like Batman's utility belt and they're pulling out what they need, right? It's, uh, but very rarely are they solving problems that go down to say, I need a new database connector. If that's the case, the platform team goes, solves it, and makes available a service above that they use, and so on. Everything in C3 is a type, uh, and therefore the database connector to uh, Impala is a type, right? The machine learning pipeline that uses Tesseract is a type. The application widget on the inventory optimization screen that shows the latest uh, deviation from safety stock is a type, right? And the data integration tool uh, logic that that finds the best match for any ingested data in terms of its target source, in, in terms of its target field, is a type or a function or a type, right? And so everything's abstracted always, and you're really dealing with internal APIs that work seamlessly across the platform. That's how we manage down the complexity. Now, if you're a customer, right, then we ask, then the question to ask is, what are you in that customer? If you're an end user of a customer, you don't care about the C3 platform at all. All you care about is what's the URL I need to get to and what's the button, big red shiny button I need to press, right? That's all you care about. If you're an application developer in a at a customer site, like a lot of Dan's team that are building applications with us, you care about the data ingestion APIs, the machine learning engineering APIs, maybe the application logic APIs. You don't care about the platform fundamentals at all because that's given to you. If you're a data scientist on the C3 platform, you care about what pipelines the machine learning engineering team has made available and how I can call the time series engine or the data wrangling engine in Jupyter Notebook to do what I need to do. That's really all you care about. So depending on who you are, it actually changes what we expose and that then also manages down the complexity. Uh, frankly, there are about three people in the company that know it all and uh, Let's just say that, it, that they are incredibly valuable. <laughs> Before we started rolling, we I was mentioning that you know one of the first articles I wrote seven years ago, seven plus years ago when I started my company was about machine learning platforms. 
And at the time, I heard a lot of feedback that says that we're never going to be able to generalize machine learning. Like we're going to have to, you know, it's always going to be a problem to solve on a snowflake by snowflake basis, on a problem by problem basis. Dan, you're building platforms. What's your what's your take on that? What's your experience on that? And how close are we to, you know, can we call it a nirvana of having a generalized platform that we can apply to a wide variety of business problems? I, I, I think we're getting closer and closer to that. I, I think I would, so I'd answer that in a couple of ways. I think the first is that we still have a view that you still solve machine learning problems case by case. So we, we start with the hypothesis. What is the core question you're trying to answer? And how do you prove that with data? That's still fundamental to you know, the scientific method, if you will, that we employ in the way we go about solving any problem we get from our business users. What I think is increasingly interesting is that we are starting in the same way as the software industry figured out that even when you're solving a problem, you can create your reusability. We're seeing that same trend emerging in machine learning. So you can have generic pipelines which are mostly the same, use a consistent set of frameworks, and then ultimately can be deployed to solve different problems within a given space. So the example I always use is natural language processing. So Adi talked about Tesseract, right? Spacey is becoming commonplace in that domain. At the end of the day, what, what you can do in most cases is stitch together a series of building blocks with Python, NLTK, and those sorts of things, and ultimately get to an end product where you can use that same pipeline to answer multiple questions. Now, you still need a data scientist that knows how to tweak the knobs, if, if you want to put it that way. But at the same time, you can reduce the time to value so you're not rebuilding everything every time. And that's really what the, the theme across my team. We're, we're really looking to say, when I go to solve that problem, can I take a reusable asset that someone else has built somewhere else and it reduce the time to value, whether that be at the data level or at the framework level, to allow you to solve the business problem as fast as possible. Now, I think the next generation of that is, is making that accessible so that end users can tweak those parameters. And that's the auto ML development. It's the work in the self-service. And actually, some of the things that C3 are trying to do to expose some of their core platform functionality. And you see that right across the industry right now. Um, I think the other thing that's going to come and hit us quite hard, though, which is emerging, is how do you infuse data security into all of that? Because I think there's been a an explosion of ideas in this space. And somehow, we need to make sure that we do that responsibly. And there's a lot of thinking going into that particularly within Shell right now, to make sure that we've got the, the platform right to underpin all of that and that re those reusable assets have also security baked into them. So I, I, I see the whole industry growing up. I see it becoming much more like the software industry uh, in general. No, it's, a, it's a great analogy. Uh, we started this interview talking about the strides you've made in four months. Uh, you want to predict us four months out? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. I, so... So there's a few things on our roadmap. I'll talk about I'll talk about some of those. I think um, for us, uh, optimization is the next big horizon. So how do we start to use a combination of traditional optimization techniques, stuff like CPLEX, for example, and, and traditional solvers, in conjunction with new optimization techniques like deep reinforcement learning, to start to solve some of the toughest optimization problems across the energy industry? And that's a really exciting space for us. And I think 
the other thing about that space is that's when you start ironically getting back to C3's original mission, which is trying to reduce carbon. Um, because in that whole space, if you can really optimize, you can start to look at trade-offs, uh, trade-offs between your greenhouse gas emissions and your production, uh, as well as trying to look at places where you need to tighten up, right? So I think that's, that's going to be a huge thing for us. I think the other thing that's super interesting is uh, how do you start to look at an emerging class of energy customer who are typically very green in their outlook, tech savvy, and want everything digitally. So how do we meet that need as an organization? And how do we make that, make it really easy to interact with Shell? And how do we give you a range of offerings that allow you to solve your energy needs and do that taking full advantage of AI? And that's the vision that I'm super excited about. That's where we're really trying to push the envelope next. Well, Dan, Addy, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. Great conversation. Thank thanks, you. Sam. All right, everyone, that's our show for today. To learn more about today's guest or the topics mentioned in this interview, visit twimmelai.com. Of course, if you like what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.